0: This is Nova Anderson, your elected Regional Director to the Strathcona Regional District Board from Cortez. And this is the, I don't know how many in a series of Tuesday 4.30 uh, Cortez Community Public Meetings. And I understand that uh, there's still a good number of folks who listen to us on the radio live. So you are at Cortez Community Radio and who listen to the podcasts afterwards that are available both on Tideline and at Cortez Currents and read Roy's great coverage. I'm really grateful for Cortez Current's ongoing coverage of this. So thank you for the few of you that are here with us live and all of you listening virtually. Um, so to the, this series started as a way of communicating out to you what organizations and businesses were doing in response to COVID-19. And um, in the last couple of meetings and this one and a few more coming forward, there. Um, having conversations with some of the nonprofit organizations that serve this community and who have submitted applications to the grant and aid process to the regional district. Um, and I've got Manda Ofox Gillespie from Folk U with us here as our featured guest today. Thank you, Manda. But just before getting into that, I wanted to give um, I think just one other update to let you, maybe there was another one, um, to let you know that last week at the Regional District Board, we received information that we were successful in receiving a $26,000 grant um, through the Regional District for updating the Cortez, um, uh, what do they call it, Wild community wildfire planning plan, and doing some fuel mitigation work in the community forest. So this was an application that was developed in partnership with the clues First Nation and the Cortez Community Forest Partnership to do some fuel load reduction management, I believe in the community forest exclusively, and then to do some updates to that wildfire uh, planning project which is great. Fire is so much on our radar these days, especially given the beautiful warm spring that we've been having. And then actually the other thing that i wanted to share that came to our attention at that same board meeting last week uh, is that there was some money left over from the wildfire planning exercise that has been redirected into uh, some community chipping programs sorry i'm just trying to bring it up right here I, i believe it's the june 3rd and 4th here Information will be coming out um, in the next day or two here publicly. Because of the ban on burning right now because of COVID and wanting to keep the air as clean as we can for people with respiratory conditions, um, COVID being obviously a respiratory illness, and because there are so few commercial chippers on the island, here's a shout out to anybody who wants to get into the chipping business. Regardless of COVID, fire it would be a great thing to do. There's only kind of half a chipper on island right now. Uh, the regional district will be providing two days of free chipping service to the island. So as I say, I'm pretty sure it's the third and fourth, or perhaps the fourth and fifth, I'll see if I can bring it up here uh, before we close, of June. The invitation is to bring anything that's uh, chippable, wood, debris, down to the end of your driveway. So this obviously doesn't work if you've been falling multiple trees and have you know huge piles of branches and stumps etc. But if you've got a reasonable amount that you can take to the end of your driveway and put in a relatively neat pile, um, if you've got branches you know put all the, the butt ends of the branches out towards the driveway so they can go into the chipper more easily. And then unfortunately, and I I thought otherwise, the chips to meet the grant funding requirements need to leave the island uh, because it's considered fuel load reduction. And if you keep them on island, then it's still the woody debris on island that could be a fire hazard. And I made every case I could that when you put them in the garden paths and water them, they're not a fuel hazard and there's so much demand here, but no go on that one. So sorry for that. Um, If you've got larger piles, you know, as I do, try to get in touch with Nick. I think he's really the only chipper on island. Um, or if you can store them in a relatively safe place and chip them or burn them again in the fall and the winter, that'd be great. But for those of you who've got a smaller amount, this is an effort from the district uh, in that regard. And Quadra has a couple of days uh, immediately before that. Um yeah somebody's just made a note Ira has a chipper too but he's busy doing other things and so far there's nobody who who's stepping up who he trusts who wants to use it so if anybody has uh any insight into how to get some other chippers in the mix here that would be great okay so back to the the grant and aid process there's twenty five thousand dollars in the Cortez regional district budget every year that's allocated to nonprofit organizations for, for good work here. A combination of core funding that helps groups um, meet their basic needs of rent and insurance and things like that. And then often some new interesting projects. I've spoken about this in the last call or two, so I won't say too much more. But this year I've um, invited all of the nonprofits on the island to participate in a participatory budgeting process. And I think we've had 13 nonprofits participate, which is just fantastic. I'm really grateful. These organizations have met three times in the last week on Zoom in an incredibly um, uh, dedicated process to trying to find efficiencies and collaborations and understand um, how their projects could support each other and be complementary. And it's been, a, I've been really impressed at the collaborative nature rather than the competitive nature that, you know, could well um, have been perhaps in different circumstances. And uh, of course, there's more requests for funding than the funding we have. And we met this morning for the final time and organizations are now being asked to uh, vote, if you will. So every organization who's participated is going to get uh, a spreadsheet and they will allocate as the full 25,000 each of them and then my commitment is to average all of those out and take that recommendation to the Regional District Board. So today I invited um, three of those organizations who submitted applications to the Regional District, uh, the Women's Centre, Folk U, and the Family Support Coordinator Program at the Community Health Association. Unfortunately, Tanya from the Women's Centre wasn't able to join us, but we do have Manda and Desta with us here. And I thought it was a great pairing these three and, and indeed two today for a couple of reasons. Each of them are kind of projects of another organization and sometimes they're in a place of competition for funds or maybe not you know, having all of the organizational and institutional support that a uh, you know, full board would have, which might able them, enable them to be more nimble, but uh, we'll get in a little bit to that. And they also all serve either vulnerable populations or populations that kind of otherwise often fall through the cracks of either our social service systems or our nonprofit thinking. So welcome, Manda and Desta, to this series of community uh, public meetings, if you will. Uh, Desta, I did see you join. Can you confirm that you're with us? Yeah, I'm here. Great. Thank you so much. I I know that you were drawn to be outside with your kids. We'll we'll try to keep it relatively brief. Thank you. Um, So I would just invite both of you, uh, one at a time, to share, perhaps Amanda first, share a little bit with us about the core programs that you run, just historically. And you have both I would say essentially submitted core funding applications to continue doing the, the work that you're already doing as opposed to some you know new project and um, why that's something that you want to carry on with and then just any reflections you have about this, this whole process. But Manda, what's, what's Folk U about? Uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about Dakota and just all how that relationship works and then some of what you've been doing at Folk U. welcome.
1: Hi, thank you so much. Um, this is so exciting to, to be here gonna turn my video off so that you can hear me a little bit more clearly. Um, So thanks everyone for your time. Uh, Folk, Most of you have started hearing about Folk University at this point and um, Folk University, I like to say, sort of is nothing. It is just an experiment. It is whatever we the people of Cortez who are also the professors, the students, and the janitors of Folk you want it to be, need it to be, and make it, um, along the lines of this experiment to see whether we can use our individual skills, our interests, our ideas, our passions to bring us closer together as a community and make us more resilient both as individuals and um, as a community. Because if we can't figure out how to enjoy being together and learn from each other, then like what is community if it's not that, right? So, um, and Folk University uh, is um, the sort of, uh, the seed for Folk University came out of Cortez Literacy, um, which is what my position theoretically is, is that I am the Cortez Literacy Coordinator, which is a position that is funded by, a. Charity, um, a provincial charity called Dakota. Dakota Literacy Solutions um, funds about 100 literacy coordinators around the province, which are by and large get about a $7,000 grant a year to fund a person to be in your community and see the in-between spaces where we can do more to help individuals realize their highest potential. Um, So it's a really vague kind of um, open job that um, has gone lots of different ways. And one of the things that, um, you know, I think Folk University has gotten best known um, in this time for the Friday afternoon uh, talks where neighbors share their own skills and um, interests with each other, but we've done a number of other things. And one of the things that Cortez Literacy has done on and off for seven years is something called a seed grant program. And it's perhaps had different names over the years, but it's basically a way of getting micro grants into the community, into the hands of individuals and grassroots organizations, that need them. So it's got very low bureaucracy um, and very quick turnaround and they and, and they're small amounts. So last year we gave out the most we've ever given out um, and I think the total of that was just over five thousand dollars and the grants ranged from a hundred dollars to I think our largest was six hundred um, and they funded numerous um, individuals and even organizations. For instance, um, Cortez uh, Family Support and the Women's Center, both who are, were featuring here today, both got tiny little grants last year. Um, the Cortez Family Support to run a Parenting Book Club. Um, you know, and it's like, you know, only possible because we have Desta who's already doing all the organizing and this is just a little bit so they could buy books. And the Women's Center um, got a grant to help fund their library so that they could have books that they could make available to the community um, around different topics. So those were both book examples but it also um, funded a musical education uh, program and things like that. I can see that.
0: I'd love to get into hearing more about some of the other programs you funded because this is a super interesting model and I'd love to hear a little bit about how those decisions are made but before we do that I'd like to bring Desta into the conversation. Uh, Desta is the Family Support Coordinator, which is a program through the Health Association. And Desta, you've been doing this as long as I can remember, minus a mat leave year or two. Um, So thank you for joining us here today. And if you'd be so kind as to unmute yourself and just tell us at the highest level um, what your program does, who you serve, and and what you do with your time.
2: Um, Okay. Um, I came to the role of family support coordinator at the CCHA in 2009 I guess Um, so yeah it's been it's been a long time and and it's it's another role kind of like Manda's where it's not totally defined. Um, I I do the best way I can describe it as I do sort of direct support so I work directly with families, trying to provide resources that are needed. Um, and then I do sort of more indirect support, which is kind of community building. So those are the things like the book clubs where um, parents can come together and just talk and there's child care provided and they can talk or not, or just sit there and start the wall and drink tea if that's what they need to do. That's okay. Um, I do a few community events each year. Um, I've done, there's been various iterations of community dinners, um, community dinner clubs. Um, I see that Phil is here. Um, Sue did an amazing job on, on the community dinners this past year, which was another project of Cortez Literacy. Um, as family support coordinator, I've also been on the, the literacy task force since its inception, and in, I think 2011. Um, it was started with, it started somewhere around the Olympics. It had something to do with this Olympic funding, um, the 2010 Olympics. So I've been sitting on the board, or it's not a board, but the task force since that time. Um, and Amanda has done this beautiful, magical thing with Folk You, um, on top of what we've been doing for many years, doing these seed grants. So. Um, that's sort of another project that I've been involved in. Um, I've started the uh, holiday gift program um, to get gifts out to low-income children. I can connect families to a few different financial resources. I try to get out. Sorry, my, my children are speaking in the background. No,
0: that's <laughs> my kid's going to wake up at some point and I'll have to disappear for a moment and redirect her. It's, it's what we're doing these days. This
2: is real life over here. Um, what was I saying? So yeah, I try to, I try to get out at least um, the value of, of the wages that I receive. I try and get that back out to the community in in real things. So through the holiday program, um, through, I, I have a free car seat program for low-income families through, um, there's a fund for children that had that, need extra support to attend recreational programming that I started a few years ago. There's another fund that I access through um, the Queen Alexander Foundation, which is now Children's Health Foundation of Vancouver Island, w- which offers the Bear Essentials Program, which provides money to families that need extra support for health and wellness related items. So whether that's um, funding to receive specialist care in Nanaimo, or Vancouver, Victoria, I can help get funding for that, things that aren't covered by the top form, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Um, and just medical, medical, yeah, and just new as of this year um, to get funding for families that are going off island to have a baby, which Mm -hmm. is huge, Mm -hmm. that would have made a huge difference for my family, so that was one that I was really excited
0: about, Um, yeah. Do you have a sense of either how many families you support a year or interact with, or a percentage of the island families? Any any take? Um,
2: a pretty high percentage. Like I try to, I try to reach as many as possible. Definitely, anyone is welcome to any of the events that I attend. I feel like inclusivity is, is super important. Um, I have an email list of of about 75 parents um, of multi-ages and, you know, I I grab those emails whenever I can. Anyone
3: (laughs) who wants to be can be on
0: my list. (laughs) We were just saying on our call this morning that you had reached out to, as you figured, 90% of the families with teens in the last little while checking in about teens. So I'll I'll circle back to that and, um, yeah, I've got a few other things. But uh, back to Manda for a moment then so so you put in a grant aid application to this process for kind of any amount really you said five to twenty grand but you know you do anything with any amount that you get for this seed grant project so i'd love to hear about some of your other examples but i'd also love manda to hear a bit about why this kind of small amounts of nimble money what niche does that fill like why is that an important? piece of our social well-being finance puzzle?
1: Hmm. I think that um, the reason I think that having small like low barrier amounts of money um, serve a purpose and particularly serve a purpose during times like this um, where things are strange and weird and we just don't know Uh, kind of, you know, who's doing what and how, that small grants allow um, new people to execute the ideas and the interests that they're passionate about. So as we all know, we, it's not always the usual suspects, right, who, who have an idea and are ready to jump on it when we most need it. And whereas a bigger amount, you know, $10,000 is awesome for something, but the kind of organizational effort that would t- it would take for CCHA, for instance, to be able to get the permission and get the grants and do what it needs to do to do a huge youth program um, is you know, is not necessarily going to help us because it's going to take so long in times like this versus $500 to someone who's worked a bunch with youth before and has a great idea and can execute it safely now. Wow, that's pretty, you know, pretty incredible. Um, And I just find that also one of the great joys of Folk University is getting to know, um, you know, all those people on the island who are not necessarily as Socially, social, um, socially oriented as I am, right? To get to know all these people with their many resources and their many experiences and their many strengths and their many skills. And, um, and it's such a, I find in the world that there's so too few opportunities to just give someone um, that we know is gonna be able to do a good job and has proven that they have a great idea and often has done great things in the past and give them that leg up. You're
0: muted. I'd love to hear some of your historical projects, Perhaps, but perhaps even more relevant would be, I know that you've been having conversations with lots of people specifically around youth and, and teens at this particularly odd time and how to meet uh, some of the needs and really engage in a more meaningful way that pop- part of our population. So I'm curious, I mean, people haven't been submitting applications to the seed fund, I don't think right now, because you don't have any funds for it, but what are the kinds of ideas that you're hearing generated now in this time of social isolation uh, that you think would be worthy and of these funds and um, sort of an appropriate fit of a small amount of money to just get going now? What are some, you know, without names attached to them, but what are some of the notions that you're hearing now that you would love to be able to support in this time?
1: I mean, one of the things I will say is that I, things change fast, um, <laughs> you know, and, and particularly in the world of teens and uh, in this pandemic. So, um, but some of the things that I was quite excited about a couple of weeks ago that, you know, kind of, if I'd had this money, we'd be able to just run with it um, were uh, online cooking classes for teens um, so that they could come together and still be gathering, and uh, increasing their skills. Um, little sort of just like uh, dance breaks um, where they came together and um, just got to kind of be together and get the wiggles out and um, do that kind of thing. You know, now that some of the regulations have, have lifted and there's a little bit more opportunity for the people to be outside, I think we would see a whole different level of, of um, access to some of that stuff um you know come forward should we get the uh you know get this sort of call for projects out um i will say that i was pretty excited um working with christine who i see is on the call robinson um and and thanks to some of the work that Norlene lillico had done from a seed grant um that she got last year we were able to um and, and thanks to um some donations of books from Uh, Linnea, we were able to get books out to the community um, in sort of sterile safe way and this is sort of an example of like Luckily, I'd had some seed grant money that I'd already put into this before So we were able to respond really quickly when it was clear that nobody had access to books because the library has been closed so um, You know, I think it's just sort of amount like that whole project cost us less than $200 because lots of people gave their time and resources and things like that. And it's just a perfect example. It's like, you don't need to have tons of money. You need to have easy access to money when you need it.
0: (laughs) So I'm going to come back to you and ask just how these project proposals are vetted and decided on. Um, But I'd love to go back to Desta for a moment um, in sort of in that vein of what's happening in these times. What are you hearing, and I'm, I'm not asking to speak on behalf of families, that's certainly not fair. And I know that um, there's so, you know, as many different experiences um, as there are families, but are there any commonalities or can you speak a little bit to the range that you're hearing from families, perhaps especially some of the more vulnerable ones in this time of COVID? How, how, is, how are families coping? I think when we were speaking earlier today about, um, about this call, I was saying, you know, so often, you know, we get to have a sense of how people are doing by just little bits of checking in here and there as we see people out and about at the stores and the beaches. And, and that has been super, super limited. And, and part of the reason for these calls is to check in with each other and give the broader community who's listening a sense of what's up in different sectors. So what, do you, what are you hearing from your member families um, in this time?
2: Um, I, I find that hard to answer, but I will do my best. Um, I, I did send a survey out sort of, uh, shall we say early COVID.
0: <laughs> yep.
2: Um, and, and at that time, um, families really generally seemed to be doing pretty okay. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it was a big change for everyone. Um, and, a lot I think just even to wrap your head around of the not knowing um, what the future is and what's happening at you know that er those early days things were happening so so quickly um, almost hourly or daily at least Um, and at that time like it really seemed that people people were okay they were talking about their gardens they were talking about having greater connections with their children they were talking about their, you know, the siblings, their their children, um, getting along better or, or just connecting more, even if they were fighting more at the same
0: time, (laughs) just being (laughs) together more, being together
2: more. Um, but, but it just, it seemed like from, from what I could tell, like the relationships were being strengthened. Um, Um, my son is right here because it's
0: your awesome. families are together you need to, you
2: need to go that's, that's great do you want to say something to the radio right now everyone I don't know. you don't know mom yeah okay, this my all
0: right
2: attention. well
0: back to Amanda for a moment all right. no all good i'll i'm i'm there too um Oh, Amanda, what was I going to ask you? I was going to ask you about, Oh, right. How, so how does your decision-making process work? If, if you were to get five or 20 or any amount from the grant aid, um, allocation this year, which would come through ideally in, what did I say? J- July. Uh, how, how do you go about making those decisions and how do people apply? What, what's the process?
1: So, um, in years past, when we've had seed grant money, it's been decided by the Cortez um, Literacy Advisory Board. Um, this year, I would expand it to include advisory board um, representation, but I'd like to also um, specifically get more young adults involved. So I'm saying that I would uh, like I would have thirty percent young adults, so teenagers to mid thirties. Um, representation on there. I'd really specifically like to try to bring some of the young adults into kind of a mentorship and leadership capacity so that we're making some of those decisions also with the next generation. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'd like a little bit more of a cross-section from the community than what we've historically had. Um, Once again, I think it's really important that people who are interested that get to kind of be part of making these decisions, that it's not just the people who are the usual suspects who often get to make these decisions, just like we're giving money to, you know, people who are not always the usual suspects. I'd like to have um, part of that process also be people who aren't like usually asked to be part of giving away money. So what I would say is that this year, um, because it's a little of a special case scenario that Um, If we were to get enough money, so say $5,000, that I would do multiple rounds so that there would be a very, very simple application process, much like we've had in the past, where you basically say, what is it that project you want to do? How much money do you need to do it? And, um, you know, how do we know that you actually have the ability to do it? Uh, And then that... Then there's basically, I have a matrix that I've developed. The matrix looks at the different elements of the community, So mostly it's like seniors, um, the most vulnerable, young, uh, young adults. And then it also looks at different kinds of ways that we connect or come together as community. So um, that's like individual enrichment um, is one of those things, but then also just things that bring us together to share information, community enrichment kind of stuff, Um, uh, being part of a citizen in a larger sense, like how do we Cortez or how do we as individuals fit within the larger um, Mm -hmm. context or community? Um, And then a context of just sort of also but like furthering our um, scientific needs or spiritual needs or connection in sort of the larger global sense. Um, So that's the matrix. Probably, if we have multiple um, processes this year, then I would really like to see as broad of a spectrum of people getting to help make those decisions as possible. Awesome. Uh, so, either by um, trying out some new community um, where we, you know, part of it is like anybody gets to go on, everyone gets one vote who lives on Cortez, and you can put it on a scale of your interest. Um, and then maybe also uh, uh, some people in person so we get to you know have a little bit more conversation but um there you know besides having to have some people from the actual advisory group there um there's not a lot of have to's other than reporting back on how the money is spent
0: and that advisory group has come together kind of naturally over time or how who's your advisors i mean names aside how, what is that group about
1: uh, so that group consists of um, a number of individuals who have been there for uh, since the Dakota started this process, which was in the 2010 Olympics. So um, we have a handful of advisors who have been there from. The beginning before there was ever any funding or anything attached with this um and with Cortez Literacy I mean and then there's also some newer uh people that I've invited on to over the years um uh, or over this last year um
0: great um so if you are listening on the radio and joining us live you are listening to Cortez Community Radio, CKTZ 89.5, which I'm supposed to do somewhere near the top of the hour. Um, If you're listening to us afterward, thank you for for tuning in. Uh, This is our weekly community public meeting. And today, I'm uh, delighted to have a conversation with Amanda O'Fox-Gillespie of Folk U, as well as Desta, our family support coordinator. so Desta, if it's a good moment for you to just finish off answering that, that one question, great. If not, we'll go um, open it up to those other people who've joined us here on the Zoom call. Have you got a spacious moment, Desta? So the, the, the question was, um, oh, what was it? Oh, what are you noticing in these times? And you were saying early times that people were, families were actually have, making a pretty good time of it and spending time with each other. Have you noticed something different Two three months in
2: um not not so much so that was early and then around like maybe two and a half or so weeks ago i um i heard that there was a lot of concern around the teens um so because i was like i don't think people will fill in another survey i'm just going to call them so i called I don't know, 80, 90% of the teen families just to check in and see how they were doing and see if there was an appetite for doing some kind of programming. And at that point, it still looked like it would have to be online. Um, but what I heard then was the teens were were pretty much connecting on their usual um, social media platforms and and were connected with their friends and another another thing to do online wasn't really what people were wanting at that time. So that's that's in terms of programming in terms of how they were doing. I think um, You know that they were dealing with it was what I was hearing Was that it was not really ideal circumstances. they were missing their friends. Um, at that point, some had sort of come into a pod scenario where they had one or two families that they were connecting with more closely, um, but that generally they were still all right. So that's that's what I heard from parents. I think we've lost Nova. I can yeah, hear she you. I'm to, she may have had to go
1: in a uh, deal with a child waking up from a nap.
2: I think that may be it. Um, we, we have been running one weekly online program, um, in collaboration with the Children's Forest. And we have Christine Robinson here today on the call as well. She could maybe speak to how that's been going. We've been slowly building, um, a little following of nature-loving Children, Do you want to talk about that at all, Christine, while we wait for Nova
3: to come back? Okay, now am I unmuted? Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Um, so it's been a very interesting process because it has been a beautiful collaboration with uh, the Cortez Family Network and DESTA. It's been really one of the, I think, one of the beautiful things that's come out of this COVID time. And so when we started this, basically the children's forest just said, hey, you know, our mandate is connecting uh, youth and children and families with nature. Uh, that's one of our mandates. And so here is an opportunity for us to step up and, and show some leadership. And so not knowing where this would go and who, which, which age group this would attract, Desta and I started the conversation and um, there's been a weekly activity that's gone out to families. And... And then an optional, always optional, um, an optional uh, opportunity once a week to come together and chat with some of the children, um, just because so many of the younger children, who are not generally on social media, are um, love to do. You know, Desta's words were great: show and tell, and and tell stories, and that's such an important. Um, element for children who are in the five, six, seven, eight-year-old, nine-year-old range. And and as we started, it became clear that there were some skills that were needed in order for us to do this. And, and things were a little bit sort of rusty around the edges. But as we have continued, and I think we've had six perhaps now, each week, we've, we've actually had another family or two join us. And I I see the development, like the actual social skill development happening with the children who are more comfortable seeing their face on the screen, which is, it it takes everybody a little bit of uh, time to get used to that, and particularly children, and then the the skill in, in Communicating and learning to take turns, which again is another level of skill, which as adults we may struggle with, but with children they're so spontaneous. So I, I've seen the value from the perspective of keeping families engaged um, in nature activities, and I've seen the value in uh, a skill set which I never would have thought I would be promoting in terms of screen time with children but I have seen how it can be used as a tool. And so I I would say it's been a very successful collaboration. And I I think that if I ever step out of this, which I may do for a short-term basis, I think the children will want this to continue. And that's the other benefit that's come from this is the children are stepping up now and they're they're making suggestions, which is actually what we want. We want this to be child-driven and um, and and for the children to take some leadership. And I would say that the age group that we are not addressing through this particular program would be the children who are 10 years old, um, 10 to 14, 10 to 12. And we've had conversations about what their needs are and why this is not perhaps meeting their needs. And um, and that's an ongoing conversation. So. I think, Destin, if you want to add something else, that that would be my analysis and summary of that collaboration.
2: Yeah, no, that's a great summary. Um, And if anyone out there is listening and wants to join, it's happening on Thursday morning at 10 a.m. and we will be talking about plant families, as suggested by Rigel.
0: Great, thank you team for uh, for jumping in when my internet connection went down there. Uh, Christine for joining us, bless. Um, I can't, I don't have speaker view anymore available to me. I don't know if Aton. there's some way you can, so I'm not entirely sure who's here, but last time I, I saw all the participants I noted there were a couple of families. So just an invitation to anyone who's joining us live here on Zoom uh, who is part of a family if you were called to share your experiences or, or ask any questions of either Desta or um, Manda at this time, you'd be very welcome to unmute yourself and do so. Or er, anybody else who wants to jump in with any thoughts about uh, what you've been hearing from these two programs? And my kid just woke up, so I'm going to run and do that for a moment. Um, I, so I'll leave you with uh, both of you, Desta and Manda, could you speak to if people wanted to contribute financially to the programs you're doing, how would they go about doing that? And I'll be back as soon as I can.
1: <laughs> Desta's online pointing at me. <laughs> this is Manda. Um, so Yes, we would love to have donations. And in fact, lots of uh, Cartesians over the last um, two years have contributed in small amounts by getting Folk you class passes, um, which give you free access to all of our classes for the year. Now that all of our classes just happen on the radio, um, by and large, uh, they're free for everyone anyway. Um, But we can still take uh, small donations. Um, through the Cortez Island School, who holds our money for us, um, or they, we could, um, you know, take larger donations for, for instance, the seed grant program, which no longer has um, its own funding source. So, um, if we were to get, um, you know, say a generous five thousand dollars to provide um, neighbor-to-neighbor style grants we could certainly make use of that
3: <laughs>
1: we could name the program after you for the year <laughs> if you would like a john doe <laughs> seed grant donation program how about you desta um
2: well in in the past my my role is mainly right now um Grant based and in the past we did have wonderful um, private donors who were supporting it who are no longer on the island. Um, so, or, or for some reason that they're, they're no longer supporting the CCHA programs in the same way. So if there is an angel donor out there who wants to support the family support program um, and the other CCHA youth programs that are operated that they're based in the clinic, but they go out and they do amazing after-school programs with multiple age groups. There's the kids in action group, which is the six to nine year olds. There's the adventures in leadership group, which is the 10 to 12 year olds. And then of course there's the teen scene. Um, all of these programs operate on a shoestring budget. So donations that um, to the CCHA uh, are gratefully accepted and you can get a tax receipt and that would be awesome. Um, but in general, the Cortez community has been awesome. Uh, the holiday gift program that I do um, around the December holidays um, ha- are completely uh, supported by Cortez Islanders. So that's, like, that's just awesome. This year, I think it was about $1,900 was donated to give gifts to vulnerable children. So that's, that's pretty awesome, Cortez, thank you.
0: Great, thank you to both of you. So again, I'm just opening it up to anyone who's participating with us. Any questions or reflections on what you've been hearing? Well, we're not allowed to do uh, too much quiet dead time on the radio. Um, If um, if either of your programs were to have a little bit more than your absolute basic needs met, like you're both applying basically for, well, family support coordinator is applying for core, core, core operation funds and um, literacy now for, um, you know, this seed this grant program. If a donor was to say, you know what, I really believe in the kind of work that these organizations are doing, here's 10 grand, what would you do? What would be your stretch place? Because I know that in these times of localization, and rural, you know, more, more focus on rural, and so many of our um, summer visitors who can't come, they may be looking at ways of contributing. So, what would you do if you had a little bit extra, Amanda? I mean, so it sounds
3: I, like I if, you, for, if you- I uh, waiting
1: for Destiny to answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, like, I can spend money. Do you, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I can spend money. I mean, this is the great beauty of the way, I mean, that the my position is set up because, I mean, it, it's a very, very, very minimally funded position. It only funds a few hours a week. But as you know, we have managed to do, um, hundreds of hours of programming with that because everything that yeah. we get can basically go into a programming. So, you know, I would love to really solidly grow the the, the micro grant or the seed grant program. To, uh, I feel like we could come up with a better name. Um, um, because really, like, think about what we could do if we had more ways to, this is something that, for instance, the the Vancouver Foundation does. They do a huge Um, they call it neighborhood grant program. Um, They give away many thousands every year to to neighbors and to small grassroots organizations um, to the tune of mostly their $500 chunks that they give out to help people grow social enterprises, just fantastic things that are gonna help grow their community um, and meet the needs. Um, So I would love to do that. I would love to be able to really get um, more, and this could happen through the seed grant Um, program, more mentorship. This is something we've been talking about um, and with Folk University and Cortez Literacy for a long time as we have so many incredible um, people on this island with all these skills and we're really bringing that forth through the Folk U program, but what if we could tie that more deeply to young adults and youth um, and do more with mentorship. So um, I, like, I find I have endless, uh, programming, um, energy. I mean, we like, with the Folk you movie, you know, Folk you and and Linnea movie (laughs) nights this year and game (laughs) nights and all these other things. It's like, wow, like what, what if there was actual funds? These are all just sort of volunteer things that we try to get going,
0: um, you know,
1: like, I've got no Amanda
0: Amanda enthusiasm (laughs) cloning device here. Uh, So I'll I'll ask both of you a final question uh, that you can think on just a wee bit uh, while I share a little bit of um, what's happening next with this process. And that'll be uh, how have you experienced participating in this participatory budgeting process? What has this been like for you? Let's just dive into that, and then I'll I'll wrap up with sharing with those who are listening a little bit about some of the other projects that are being put forward and what's up for next week. So uh, Amanda I'm going to tap you first just because you're always great at just diving straight in and give just a moment to think. How has this been for you participating with 12 other community organizations trying to divvy up a small pot and, um, and collaborate in this
3: way?
1: I have to say that when I first got the invitation I was pretty reluctant. I mean, I am spending many hours at this point in meetings, uh pulling together um uh radio shows, you know, figuring out how to keep my core program going. So, I have to say at first I was like, oh, really like more meetings and <laughs> I'm
0: so <meetings?"> sorry. <laughs>
1: I, and there's nothing I hate more than process meetings. I mean, I really do. I just, I'm not. I can't be like. This is why I don't sit on boards. Why I have an organization without a board is so they don't have to spend a bunch I'm of time. So sorry, Amanda. So why are you here? Are you so, so, <laughs> so i So um, I. But that being said. Um, Th- this fall, I feel like this actually kind of in some ways came out of this fall where we are finally a bunch of social profits on the island, and there you know were like fifty of us came together for the first time, I think in i don 't know how many years since the entire time I lived here. yeah and and nope. the and what I saw is like, oh wow, when you get when you come into a room and you just i mean hello, folk you right it's back to the same idea when you come into a space. <laughs> <laughs> to talk about ideas without needing to um, be caught within to our own individual silos of like, oh, but you know, like I need this, I need this to stay alive. When you can come into a space where it's like, oh, look at ideas, people I like, um, so much room for like, like, just to talk about needs and what we see that Cortez wants. And um, it's just such a generative, incredible space. And I, so, um, I knew that there would be so much generative juiciness coming together when we got together. So that's sort of why I did it, even though it was also, you know, it's awkward to talk about money and,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and mm-hmm. process together.
0: Uh, <laughs> And how's it been now that you jumped in three meetings later, what's your experience been? I
1: feel like it's been fantastic. People have been really, once again, just generative, really looking for the places that they can support each other. Um, There's so much goodwill. Like one of the people who's not here today is Tanya. And um, also we had like an awful like technical first call. And the way that people were like jumped in, were like, well, we just need to make sure that the Women's Center... Gets the core funding that they need. This is absolutely essential to us. You know, like, it's just been really beautiful the way that I feel like the groups are looking out after each other. I'm a relatively new, you know, kid on the block. Folk University is not, you know, it's sort of like the second cousin. We don't have like a big budget. We don't have a lot behind us. And I feel like really the whole process has been very welcoming, very much like everyone has... Um, a seat at this table. So I feel like it's been really awesome. And there's been a lot of conversation about how to make it so that very, very soon, every neighbor, every citizen on Cortez gets to have, um, you know, a a democratic say in this process. And that just feels really good to me.
0: Well, this is Um, This is a bit of a beta test to try out how this participatory budgeting together with a group of people who are pretty dialed into these kinds of things already. Um, But if this goes well, certainly I've had a number of people suggest that perhaps next year we could uh, put it out to the whole community and allow any citizen a vote in the grant and aid process, which then also begs the question, um, you know, what else do we as a community need to come together on and decide about and have conversation about? Uh, which then comes back to our whole conversation around new ways of of making decisions, new ways of collaborating around um you know localized complementary governance um, options here on the island. uh Desta, did you want to jump in and certainly you're welcome to take a pass, but any of your reflections on um how this has been participating in this process this week
2: um
0: yeah just to, just to really.
2: Reiterate, I guess what Amanda has said, it, it was just really great to see all of the different project ideas out there and all of the beautiful big picture thinking and ideas and visions for all that could be on Cortez Island um, has been really interesting. Um, I I love that part and then I also feel like getting into those grittier, less shiny details of of, of what needs to happen and how do we you know, support the Women's Center and support our vulnerable populations. There's feedback, but yeah, I I think it's been interesting. I also, am super excited about the possibility of it going island-wide because while these organizations are awesome and they represent um, Cortesians in in some way, in a lot of ways, I I think, Cortez Islanders are very independent and very, there's a very broad spectrum of people here. And so actually hearing from individuals and not just a collective group of organizations of people who are at a high enough baseline that they can participate in these conversations. Think like taking it back down to, to just individuals. I, I think that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. So I'm hopeful. And that was
0: my. Awesome. Thank you. That was my pre-COVID intention. Um, Before we stopped being able to gather in large spaces, the, oh, what was it called? The Cortez Community Council, oh, my kid has a banana, Um, working group, research group, was going to hold a community meeting uh, and talk about the research they've been doing into different ways of gathering and making decisions as a community. And I said, hey, you know, let's Put a vote to the public. Whoever shows up at that around grant and aid allocations and and do a, a completely open process. And then COVID hit, and it was it was trickier. So um, this is the best we could do. This version, um, but it's a pretty low risk way of testing out um, how to make decisions together in a really good way, um, relatively complex ones. And we're going to be facing as a community a lot of really complex decisions as um, climate change and the kinds of effects. And I would submit that the kind of um, viral effects that we are under right now is, is one of many disruptions that are gonna come connected to uh, climate change. We're moving into a period of real disruption. And as much as we can localize and find our own mechanisms for decision-making and finance, um, the better we'll be. Uh, so I want to I'm happy to give anybody else who's here on the Zoom call uh, a chance to chime in about any of this. Um, I, I do remember, sorry, kid, all that made meek's focus harder. I do remember Desta. You were sorry, um, Amanda. You were talking about social enterprise and sort of kickstarting social enterprise, and I know that's something that the Cortez community economic. Development Association has been looking at doing through the creation of their uh, community investment co-op and other mechanisms And I saw that Basil was on the call. I'm not sure if Adam was here Um, If either of you wanted to speak briefly about that, you're welcome to Um, But also note that next week's community meeting a week from today. I will be inviting the um, Cortez Community Economic Development Association to be sort of a feature guest if you will because They put in uh, half a dozen just a second half a dozen different project proposals into this mix. So if there's anyone else on the call, uh, Basel or otherwise, otherwise I'll wrap up with um, a little bit of a high picture of some of the other applications. I'm hoping somebody can chip. I, I see a comment Oh, let this work. I see a comment saying with regards to gathering for community participation decisions being physically in person isn't always possible for everyone especially um from a family situation there's so um so so sort of online way of participation in community decision making would actually be great totally 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 um and it's Mm -hmm. been interesting to see the number of um i've been really impressed at the way cortez has risen using zoom as much as we don't love it uh, in these kinds of modalities. So, yes, my love. So, Basil uh, or Adam, today. you have something to tell me. Do you want to share at all just about the social enterprise? beautiful Okay, well, in the absence of that, um, I'm just going to share that there there were, I believe, nine different applicants. and. Uh, in addition to Linnea Farm, who we had on, on this uh, session with us two weeks ago, who's looking at uh, increasing their kitchen to be a real food hub and, and getting some equipment to do that. They spoke with Mommy. us a couple of weeks ago about food security. Mommy. They also have a proposal in front of us for um, a seed library. <laughs> and I might just need to tap out because this is COVID reality. <laughs> Uh, anything else
3: from anyone here? Desta never answered that question about what would she do with ten thousand dollars if it came to her organization. You asked, you got Amanda's answer. What's Desta's? Um,
2: if we got more,
3: oh,
2: uh, what would I do? My program. I feel. I feel like my program is okay. Um you know i've I think i've asked for what we need and and if we get that i'm good with that i think the youth programming could always take on more funding the kids would love to go on off-island trips um one of the barriers to accessing the programs is transportation so there's been talk of finding some kind of funding so that um so that more kids can attend and have a ride home because The programs generally are happening after school at the school. And so they're not getting on the school bus. So in order for them to attend the program, their parent needs to come and pick them up at the end of the program and that not every parent can do that. So, so just to increase access through some kind of transportation to the youth programs. I think that that would be a really good place to spend money. Where do
3: you go on these outings. Or where would you want to go either, Nancy?
2: Well, one of the things the kids look forward to every year is a trip to town to go to Campbell River. And I'm not even sure what they do there. Maybe they go skating or swimming or to a movie um, to do town things. Um, So that, I know that also in the past there have been trips to Strathcona Park, overnight trips um, that... The kids really enjoyed so so things like that and potentially i mean potentially expanding the programs maybe the teens could hang out a couple of times a week if life ever goes back to some kind of hanging out scenario
3: when you say kids how what age groups are you talking about
2: The youth programs are three different programs. So there's six to nine year olds, 10 to 12 year olds, and then the teen group, which is teens. When I say kids, I mean all of them.
0: (laughs) Okay, Um, anything else from anyone here? Okay, well, my kidney's attention, we've been here an hour. Blessings to all of you. Uh, you. If you're listening on the radio, it is CKTZ 89.5, Cortez Community Radio. Great gratitude to Eitan for being in the, uh, in the, the DJ seat, making all of this possible. Uh, so two weeks ago, we focused on food security and had Linnea and Cita join us for a food security conversation last week. We had a couple of people from FOCI, Max and Rex, to speak with us about a whole different number of projects that FOCI has in front of the, the grant and aid process, as well as a bit of a reading list for the times that they're proposing today. Um, obviously, Desta and Manda, thank you so much for not only the, all the work you do, but for joining us. And then next week, we'll have a deep dive with the Cortez Community Economic Development Association. They put... Um, I think five proposals in front of this grant and aid process, a community investment co-op, a family, no a food security coordinator position that we heard about already from Lonnie a bit, a grant writer position, an online needs and offers job board platform, a resilient enterprise training series, which gets a little bit to this uh, social profit business support, and potentially some rehabilitation on the the lands that they steward right next to Matson's wow. Hall, So we'll hear a bit about for that from them next week. And as always, if you have any suggestions about uh, focuses for upcoming meetings uh, in this public space, I would be uh, more than happy to hear this from you. So my gratitude to everybody here, and we'll see you this time next week.